Well, by now, I'm sure you've seen the Balenciaga post where they posted kids in bondage gear and also teddy bears in bondage gear, but that's not the worst of it. I know what you're thinking. Can it get any worse? Well, actually, they also posted along with those teddy bears a, a picture of a purse, and in the backdrop was a case filing for a Supreme Court case where a pedophile was trying to appeal a conviction for pandering child pornography. So I'm going to go into great detail as to who this individual was and what this case is about so that you can understand that there are things going on in the world today that we must respond to. We'll also look at the fact that we can't trust the media to sound the alarm on some of these things because what they just did recently with the Colorado shooter and the way they wanted to create a narrative around that story shows that they are more the enemy of the people than we would like to admit that they are. We'll talk about all of that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. If you're looking to secure your family's financial future, then you need to go to kevinblairteam.com right now to check out what our friends over at Element Home Loans can do for you. And they can help you no matter where you're at in the country. And getting pre-approved is totally free. And I know you're thinking that interest rates are so high right now, I'm not positive that it's the best time to buy. Well, I can only say this, that In the past, the housing market was so crazy that houses were going above asking price. And now that houses are sitting on the market longer, there's a little bit more negotiating power that you have. And I do know this. If you're just going to rent and sit it out on the sidelines, then what you're doing is paying 100% of somebody else's mortgage rather than 7% to the bank. So you do the math. Right now is a great time if you're looking for a home to go to kevinblairteam.com and see how they can help you. But just make sure that when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Okay, welcome to the show. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving and ate a lot and then plan on working that off in the very near future. I had a good Thanksgiving, except for the fact that I was terribly ill the entire time driving to Florida and back to Florida um, to go see family and then and then come back, like I said, because my kids got me sick with the flu or something. And as their way, you know, of apologizing, they crawled in bed with me, kicked me in the spinal cord all night. Uh, just to let me know that they were there. So to ensure that I not only had the flu and uh, didn't have any sleep, they they crawled into bed with me. So suffice to say, I am so sad that that stress-free vacation is over, but I am glad to be back with each and every one of you guys. And Glad to be able to share kind of some of the stories that that I want to talk about today because I think they're deeply important for us to pay attention to. Now, part of the drawback of the way I do the show, because I only do Tuesday and Thursday and there was a holiday last week, it means that I'm I'm super behind the kind of news cycle and talking about things that are going on in in the culture and and current events. And that's typically the way it runs, is that these other shows that uh, have a little bit higher budget and also operate on the daily have the opportunity to kind of stay on the cutting edge. But there's also a benefit to kind of being behind the news cycle. The news cycle moves so quickly that stories come and go out of the news cycle that deserve to stick around way more than they they actually do. And that is the case with this Balenciaga story. Um, Unfortunately, it's going to become a distant outrage of the past, but it's something that needs to be brought back up to our uh, to our attention so that we can really think about what what just took place and not just move so quickly past it. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Balenciaga or not, but uh, from everything that I could tell since I had never heard of them before, they seem to be a 
kind of ridiculous priced hot topic of sorts that sells t-shirts like the one you can see here. Now, at first glance, you might assume you have finally found it. This is where attention-starved megachurch pastors go to buy all of their clothes so that they can look just like Judas Smith and then get on preachers with sneakers. But you may be correct or wrong, I'm not sure. Uh, but maybe more generally, you don't have such an esoteric mindset and you assume this is yet uh, just another capitalistic attempt to tax the insufferably insipid consumers in America that are obsessed with materialism because a Simpson shirt for 600 bucks, 400 bucks, I mean, this is, this is kind of the society that we live in now that is obsessed with people like Kim Kardashian who have undeserved fame. While you'd be right, perhaps, on both accounts, the pastor shopping and the obsession with mediocrity in America, um, it shouldn't escape your notice that Balenciaga is also into kids' merchandise. And just recently, they posted some of the merchandise that they wanted to try to sell to children. In the pictures that you can see on the screen, you can see that there are two children and also the teddy bears have bondage gear on. At least one girl, she's holding a teddy bear that has a fishnet midriff shirt on and then bondage straps around her wrists and around her ankles. And then the other teddy bear has what can only be described as a kind of outfit that you saw in Pulp Fiction around the other teddy bear. Leather strapped directly through the mid-torso going to the groin and then leather straps around the body uh, of the teddy bear in other places. Now, the worst picture I'm going to save for our top story because it demands most of the focus here. But these BDSM teddy bears, as they're now being called, shocked what little morality we have left in America. And for once, there was unanimous outrage, which I was pretty proud of, the fact that we can still realize this as evil. Uh, this clear exploitation of child models and egregious attempt to sexualize children is truly evil, even to a increasing amoral society. But thank God for those who are willing to voice outrage and contempt over something so evil. Can you imagine if people would have treated this as they do so many other issues today? This issue would have gone the way of so many other slippery slopes that eventually become the new norm. And, and I'm thinking about abortion in the 90s in the Clinton administration, which was uh, the slogan was safe, legal, and rare. That's what we want abortions. That's what it was back in the 90s when I, when I was a kid. That's what I heard all the time, safe, legal, and rare. Well, like, we don't want just willy-nilly everybody to just start aborting babies left and right. That's not what we're after. We just want people to be safe if they need to have an abortion and we want them to be rare. Well, why rare? Well, of course, because back then we were willing to admit what we are sometimes uh, reluctant to do so now, which is that abortions kill a baby and therefore should be done rarely. Now, that's what they said, because of course, I think it should be done uh, never because it kills a baby. So uh, without going into too much detail about that, what's interesting is that the Democratic Party of the present has done the best that they can to drop the language of safe, legal, and rare out of their vernacular because now they want abortions to be common and accepted and even celebrated. Think the shout your abortion crowd out there. And The Atlantic, not so long ago, wrote an article as this language was being morphed in the Democratic Party, and this is what they had to say about the Democratic, again, Clinton phraseology of safe, legal, and rare. This is what they had to say about it. That that slogan, quote, 
is not so different to them from the gruesome anti-abortion billboard or bumper sticker. So, in other words, safe, legal, and rare is a pro-life slogan, not, not a democratic slogan. But thankfully, we did not have to worry about that with this story with Balenciaga because this seemed to draw unanimous contempt across the aisle. And actually, it's crucially important because Balenciaga purged their account after this. On their Instagram account, where they have 14 million followers, they erased every single picture that they had ever posted. And they're actually suing the company that was responsible for the photo shoot in the amount of $25 million. See, this big corporation with 14 million followers on Instagram responded effectively because people raised their voice. But please notice, Balenciaga posted this content, they rode with it, and then only stopped when they were prompted by the public. And, and not a public company, the public. It wasn't Daily Wire sounding the alarm again this time to stop something from happening in the mainstream. It certainly wasn't the media that was sounding the alarm. As much as I hate to admit it because I hate social media, it was regular people posting on social media who blew this story up. I hate the medium and I wish it would die. I'm a reluctant social media user and I only use it because I have an audience that I want to try to reach with this podcast, but, but as much as I hate social media, it definitely created a win here because people were willing to speak up. It's a reminder to me that we are more powerful than we think we are if we're only willing to use what our father gave us. But uh, given what took place, I'm still amazed that there are still so many people who sit back and pretend not to see what's going on in the world. Or they pretend that we shouldn't focus on cultural issues. I'm thinking of the kind of secularist who says, you know, to each his own, you do you, and why do you care about what another adult does? And what makes you so concerned about this issue? Well, because some adults are sick and need other adults to grow a backbone in order to resist them. Now, I'm most annoyed when this comes in the form of Christianity and other Christians who say things like this, don't get political, or just preach the gospel. And these are the people who fail to realize that children being exploited under our watch is kind of a gospel issue because according to Jesus, it, quote, matters. So oversimplifying the gospel and being dedicated to losing, like our friend Andy Stanley, the church is not here to win, just the opposite. Does not help anyone except to win a couple of pointless brownie points with the culture. This is something my good friend Mark Newman explains in his book, Contenders. He calls it vacant lot syndrome. I've added a lot to this idea, so it may not even look like Mark's original idea, but so just go buy his book and then you can get his idea. But my idea about the vacant lot syndrome is just this. It's that we avoid self-improvement and we don't look at potential threats seriously. We only look at them as a vacant lot, like we would a vacant lot. Only when the person who buys that vacant lot that's directly next to us is an enemy and then puts a competing business there, do we finally start getting to self-improvement and start responding to things we should have been doing all along? The vacant lot shows us two things, that we have a tendency toward the reactionary and we have a tendency to be irresponsible. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I don't think we should be reactionary, we should be proactive, but right now, the culture is so far gone that we are forced to be reactionary as a moral imperative. 
In other words, if we are not reacting to what is going on in the world, then we are we are not being moral people. We have to be reactionary now because we've waited so long to actually do anything about the culture and making sure that it resembles anything like the world we want to live in, that, that now we have to react to things or else things will get worse. So we're in a position right now where we need to be reactionary. So I think there's some pros to being reactionary. However, the reason we're really reactionary in the first place or that we have to be at this point is because we also like to avoid responsibility. The reason vacant lot syndrome exists is simply because we want to avoid the responsibility of knowing what's going on in the world and and really looking at the devil in the face. Because when we look at the devil in the face, then we know who he is and where he's at and what we must do to stop him. You know, I'm thinking of that old phrase that the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. So maybe that's about betrayal at the heart, but but ultimately it's this idea that you would be better to, to investigate and to think about and to know the devil really, really well and the way in which he works rather to, than to assume he doesn't exist. And perhaps one of the greatest tactics of the devil is to make sure that you are sure that he doesn't exist. So the person who says, well, I don't even believe in the devil is perhaps falling directly into the devil's hands. That's neither here nor there. But the, the more important point here is just this, is that when faced with the decision to stare the devil in the face or to avoid the devil and to push him off as far as we think we can, we often push him away because when we stare the devil in the face, we are responsible for doing something about him. But as long as we feign ignorance and as long as we stand behind platitudes, we can pretend that we didn't know. In other words, we want a plausible deniability. We want to be able to say we were ignorant and we didn't know it was going on. But of course, if you had wanted to, you could have. And the reason you didn't want to is because you didn't want to be responsible for the actions that would need to be taken in order to do something about it. The only cure for the vacant lot syndrome so that we can stop things like this Balenciaga thing in the future is to respond effectively to respond as informed as possible. So in other words, if irresponsibility and if reactionary thinking is the thing that causes the vacant lot, the way that we fend off against that vacant lot syndrome is that we expose ourselves to as much information as we possibly can. In other words, we face the devil. We stand toe-to-toe with him. We look him in the eye. We know exactly what he's doing, and we're willing to admit it. So let me ask this in the form of a question, because I think that this will unearth some of the vacant lot syndrome inside of each and every one of us. Is there an elite pedophile ring in Hollywood? Now, the reason I ask that question is because there's a clip that I want you to see that really illustrates what I'm after in this podcast that I think you need to see. So check this out. In this room are some of the most important TV and film executives in the world, people from every background, but they all have one thing in common. They're all terrified of Ronan Farrow. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. Look, talking of all you perverts, it was a big year. It was a big year for paedophile movies. Um, Surviving R. Kelly, Leaving Neverland, Two Popes. Shut up. Shut up. I don't care. I don't care. Most people don't want to cross the psychological line 
that this stuff is going on. And we all have a mental defense mechanism. Uh, it's like finally admitting there's an elite pedophile ring. I mean, most people just don't want to go there. And, and the same is here. You, psychologically, you lose your safety, your security, and whatever innocence you have when you realize that this stuff is really going on. And it's a, it's a chore to cross over that barrier and realize, oh, my gosh, this stuff is really happening. And that's why it takes critical thinking. The people have got to look at this stuff critically and see what they're being fed so they can cross that psychological line that they just refuse to, to see it when it's right in front of them. So I don't know anything about this documentary, nor the accuracy of the things that it depicts. But I can tell you that what this man just said about what we do when we see evil is true. We kind of block it out of our mind. We don't like to think that these kind of things can exist. And one of the reasons is, is that if we acknowledge that the evil exists, then we become responsible for doing something about it. Is there an elite pedophile ring in Hollywood? Throughout this show, I'm not going to answer the question directly. What I'm going to do is to show you how we need to proceed if we are going to answer the question, and that is to expose ourselves to as much information on the subject as possible before we fast and frugally jump to a conclusion that may not be supported by the evidence. So we need as much evidence to answer that question as possible. And I'm going to try to help you answer that question with some more information that we go back to the Balenciaga Post for. Because the most troubling picture among the BDSM teddy bears had nothing to do with the kids or the teddy bears. Actually, it was a picture of a purse. And in the background of that picture, as you'll see up on the screen, or I'll try to explain it to you now for those who are listening, you'll see some documents underneath that, that purse. And poking out underneath this bag is a document. And that document... If you blow it up, and some people online did this, you can see that underneath that bag that Balenciaga is selling is a court document. And that court document can't totally be seen, but one of the things that really sticks out is the mention of another court case, which is uh, the court case Ashcroft versus the Free Speech Coalition. Now, many people assumed because of that reference that this was actually that court document. It wasn't. I'll get to what it was in a moment. But Ashcroft versus Free Speech Coalition was a case about child pornography and about the free speech merits of child pornography. Um, so as you can imagine, a lot of people blew up online and wondered why that would be shoved underneath this purse along with a group of other photos uh, of children in, in bondage gear. Now, to really get why we should be outraged and to assess a little bit how we even got to the place where this kind of thing is being done, is you know, we need to understand where those documents actually came from. So one of the benefits of kind of being behind this story is that it gave me the opportunity to research this court case. And this court case is actually Williams v. Supreme Court. So this is a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. And you should know a little something about our friend Williams. Uh, Michael Williams was a groomer, a pedophile, and a child pornographer. Uh, Williams was on a chat room, and he happened to be speaking to an undercover operative one day and offered this undercover operative the opportunity to see pictures of his eight-year-old daughter, I think it was, being molested. 
This invitation from Michael Williams led to an invitation from the FBI to investigate him and to search his home, at which time there were multiple images of children found in different states of dress and in different states of sexual activity with adults. So this is what Michael Williams was accused of. He was accused of two things. One, possession of child pornography and uh, pandering child pornography because he offered these images to this undercover detective in this online chat room. Michael Williams would eventually plead guilty both to pandering child pornography and possessing child pornography, but he wanted to leave open the opportunity to appeal the pandering charge, which of course is just the distribution of child pornography over that, that virtual chat room. Um, and he wanted to do that because he and his lawyers argued that the PROTECT Act or the provisions that were in the uh, in federal law right now that protected children were too overbroad because, of course, anytime you protect kids from pornography and exploitation, it's too overbroad. And what he argued is that he wasn't he couldn't be pandering. Um, because he didn't actually distribute these materials online. He just offered them up to the federal agent. Um, he offered them the opportunity to see them, but he didn't necessarily uh, make good on that promise. And the argument was that this is speech that is covered under the First Amendment. He has the right to offer child pornography to his mother, to his father, to his priest, to everybody on the planet. He should be able to tell them about his child pornography without reprisal. But of course, the Supreme Court rejected this appeal and said, no, when it's of this kind of lascivious and disgusting nature, especially in light of the fact that Mr. Williams also was in possession of the things that, that he said that he had, uh, that no, this is not covered under constitutional free speech. So no, sir, you are guilty of pandering. And thankfully, this fool had to go to jail for a very, very long time. Now, why would this company that Balenciaga paid to stage this photo shoot be so brazen as to put Williams versus Supreme Court in the background of this advertisement for a purse. There's perhaps a couple reasons why. First, maybe they just thought nobody would notice, and if so, they could get away with it scot-free. But I think even if they thought no one would notice, and maybe some did, they thought that would be okay because they've gotten away with, with way worse. They, they are consistently doing things on a regular basis that demand outrage from the public, but all they have to do is cry a couple of tears, start emotionally blackmailing people, talk about how oppressed they are as a community, and they think that that will work for them. They think that it's hate to try to keep children away from obese men dancing in burlesque shows in front of them. And, and that kind of extortion is still working to a degree that, uh, that they thought that even if people tried to raise some outrage, you know, all we have to do is back Christians back into a corner, start calling them a bigot, and then people will just shut down and shut up and we won't have to worry about them anyway. So they weren't concerned uh, uh, of Christian communities or religious communities or the conservative communities at large because conservative communities and Christian communities have been uh, shelved in terms of their cultural influence, but that is changing, thankfully. And I think we just saw it. Um, and then third, and, and I think this is actually where they're 100% right, is that culture has shifted so much even if people noticed and very few people raised an alarm about it, I think they 
would they they actually thought that they would find more support than people who would be against them. I think these people that did this photo shoot actually do believe that they have this freedom of speech guaranteed to them, which means it's this all-encompassing, all-inclusive right to say whatever you want to and do whatever you want to up to and including abusing children sexually and sharing images online. After all, we talked about the beginning of the show, slippery slope arguments and how the left likes to uh, insult the, the right for consistently using slippery slope arguments. But yet here we are in the present discussing whether or not we should actually mutilate the genitalia of, of minors and, and preteens and even teenagers who have not yet sciencely uh, developed their prefrontal cortex and cannot make decisions on their own. I mean, for crying out loud, we will not even let kids drink until they're 21, but we are allowing them double mastectomies at 18. It makes no sense whatsoever, regardless of what side of the aisle that you're on. But look how in the present, this is the conversation we're having. And the LGBTQ community is right in asserting the fact and in believing the fact that they will continue to maintain their cultural dominance and continue to shift the culture in their favor with every passing generation. Now, this is where they are right, but hopefully they will slowly but surely begin to be more and more wrong. But they certainly know this. The media is not going to be the people who sound the alarm on this kind of stuff. They're not interested in actually informing the people anymore. And I don't say that lightly. When I say that the media is the enemy of the people, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I don't say that lightly because I know that that was actually something that was voiced by Stalin about the media of his day. But I also think that it's fair and legitimate to say it at this point in time about the media that is right now operating in America, especially because they do not wish to actually tell the truth. And this is no clearer the case than what just took place in the Colorado Springs shooter that shot up that, that gay nightclub. Now, I want to move away from the Balenciaga thing for just a moment to focus on this story because I think it shows us something that is very interesting. Not only does it shine a light on the LGBTQ community and kind of what we do in terms of talking about that, but it also shines a light on the fact that the media isn't interested in telling the truth. And so that, that shooter, when it first came out, um, when the story first came out that that shooter had killed five people at an LGBTQ nightclub, we immediately were bombarded with almost every single outlet, publication, and network telling us that the reason that this white male shot up a LGBTQ nightclub was, of course, because he was a right-wing extremist. I'm sure that if we looked hard enough, you'd be able to find in the surveillance photo, video footage a, a MAGA hat on that kid somewhere. Uh, we were told that the likes of Matt Walsh and Christopher Rufo, Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire and others like them, libs of TikTok, of course, is named in everything. It's because of these people exposing what the LGBTQ community is up to and, and sounding the alarm on the Respect for Marriage Act and uh, 
drag queen story hour at schools and family friendly uh, brunch sh- drag shows uh, because they have a problem with this. It, it, they're creating violence against this marginalized community. Didn't we tell you guys it's family friendly? It's on the flyer. You don't believe us? So the, the narrative surrounding this shooting was simply that anybody who causes an issue or raises concern over obese middle-aged men gyrating in front of children and reading books about sexual orientation to elementary schoolers, anybody that's doing that obviously is a bigot and is responsible for any violence that comes out. Now, this is clearly an emotional blackmail technique. And one that I've seen personally, whenever you want to sound the alarm against something that is a clear evil, the people who wish to push you away as quickly as possible from your stance will try to extort you and emotionally blackmail you with lies and tears. But if you're strong enough to push past that nonsense, what you'll find on the other side of that is just somebody that is clearly lying. And this is what the media did. They immediately jumped on the response that anybody who ever critiques anything in society that we like will will be the the focus of media scrutiny and media attention, negative media attention at that, of course. Um, and, and so that's what they did. They ran with this story without any evidence of this shooter being a right-wing extremist. They just automatically assumed, and because they don't believe in God, by and large, they become God. Uh, so what they say must be right. Well, one big problem that threw a monkey wrench in the whole program, the young man came out as a MX, not a Mr. or a Mrs., but an MX, and that he goes by they and them pronouns. Now, watching the media experience this reversal of fortune here uh, was absolutely epic. So CNN is probably the one that was the most fun to watch as they squirmed trying to sort through the confounding narrative that they had created or the confounding of their narrative because of the one that they tried to create at the beginning of this ordeal and the one that they're forced now with reconciling based upon what this guy said when the actual information came out. So here's CNN squirming to try to figure out what to do now that they cannot blame Republicans. Public defenders say, quote, Anderson Aldrich is non-binary. They use they, them pronouns. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, that's not anything that we had heard from his background. You know, people have been looking into his background. And uh, I don't know if anybody here, are you guys lawyers? I mean, you know, I don't know if, I I don't know what to say about that. I mean, that's what he's now saying. Now, the reason I find this incredibly hilarious is not just that it's really interesting to see the news media meandering around and losing their way, but... More importantly, because they've been deprived of their narrative. They can't blame Republicans, and it absolutely galls them that they can't blame Republicans because this is what they live for. How can they get clickbait without blaming people that actually didn't do anything? It's really frustrating when they actually have to do real work, and I just love seeing these reporters squirm. Now, the the reason that they're deprived of their narrative is the most epic part of this, though. They cannot blame Republicans because... They cannot suggest that this individual is just calling himself they, them, because he wants to get away with part of the accusation that he's doing this as a hate crime, because he can just say, you know, I'm part of that community, so I don't hate that community. Um, But they can't suggest that on CNN. Why? Because for the longest time, they've been 
pioneering the narrative that we must respect the pronoun, that everyone's self-identity is where true authority comes from. There is no standard source of truth. And I mean, after all, Jesus would be the marshal at the gay pride parade. We all know that, right? Because self-identity is truth, not Bible, right? That the reason they can't get their narrative back is they've deprived themselves from their narrative because they've doubled down on stupid in terms of this whole LGBTQ activism thing in the first place. So they cannot suggest for a second that, that this guy is lying because you have to respect the pronoun. And because of it, they, they find themselves having little to say now about what took place with the Colorado shooter. In fact, what they are doing is, of course, you can imagine, he was first a hated ultra-maga right-wing extremist that deserved no sympathy because he's a despicable human being. But now that he's potentially in the LGBTQ community, well, of course, this is a man that deserves our respect, and he was clearly bullied by these despicable people that we hate, and that's why he shot people. So you find a way to, um, uh, to, to confirm your bias one way or the other, don't you? Uh, confirmation bias is something that happens so consistently on the media, it's almost not even surprising anymore. But all of that to just prove this, that the media, I think, is safe to say, the, the legacy media, anyway, is truly the enemy of the people. They don't have your best interests at heart. They only want to sell airtime, and they want to peddle lies. And in the process, deceive people. And they don't have your best interests at heart because they don't want to tell the truth. So you cannot trust them. All that to say this, you cannot trust them to sound the alarm to do real investigative journalism on things like what is going on with Balenciaga and this company that would that would do this photo shoot for Balenciaga and put this kind of wicked, twisted, and sick uh, photography on display, but then also try to put subtle images about child pornography in their photo shoot. So the media is not going to sound the alarm. So who is? Well, the only people that can are you and me. In some ways, I'm not distressed about what's going on in the world as much as I am optimistic that I hope that this will, this will help us realize that if corporations and the media and other institutions are going to go woke, then it gives the responsibility back to us as individuals to take a stand. And once we do it, and once we do it in a united front, we don't even have to do it in a big kind of... Uh, bombastic fashion. We don't have to do it with a big organization behind us. We just have to do it. And we have to do it standing upon the principle of truth. And if we do do it, we can make a difference. I'll go back to what I said at the beginning of the show. I hate social media, but I reluctantly admit that social media here gets the win because people were willing to use their platform to make a difference. And this is one of the ways that you can make a difference too. You don't have to start an organization, but you can share posts and you can comment on posts, not just as a troll, but as a way to expose what is going on in the world. When things need to be known and things need to be uncovered, you can use your social media platform to do it. In fact, you can also go to other people who are doing that. You can like their stuff and you can share their stuff. You can do that with IndieThinker. And you can support the people who are standing for truth so that you can use your platform as, a, as something for good. Now, listen, I'm not saying don't post pictures of your kids or don't post pictures of what you ate for breakfast that morning. Fine, whatever. But just don't post pictures of your feet for crying out loud. Just please don't. Do all of that stuff, but also make sure 
that you're using your voice, your platform, no matter how big or small, for something worthwhile, because that is the thing that will truly make a difference. In other words, don't have vacant lot syndrome, but have a proactive mentality that shows that you understand that you can be the difference maker, that understands that the world that is all around us is going to be shaped by you one way or the other. It's going to be shaped by your inactivity or by your activity. You can sit back and wonder why the world is the way it is and, and then lament that, or you can actually make a difference. And you can do it as you stare your kids in the face, knowing that the world you leave behind for them to battle is partially your responsibility. I can't help, but every time I look at my kids, realize I have an obligation to make sure that this world is a little bit better off than the way I left it. And that's not just by teaching them values, but that's also by making a difference in the world, not standing behind platitudes. My whole show today was dedicated to just simply telling you this, that you can make a difference, even if it's just simply sharing a post, liking a post, or commenting on a post. No matter how big or small your platform is, you can make a difference. And it's not gonna be done for you. It won't be done by the people who in the past were doing it and should be doing it. Unfortunately, the burden has fallen upon each and every one of us. And that's why I'm a bit of an optimist. The reason I'm an optimist is because what that does is it puts responsibility back upon the individual. And the individual is always the one who really makes a difference in the first place. We think we can defer or uh, displace our responsibility upon institutions, but they were never the ones who really made the difference. It was never going to be the media that would really do our thinking for us in the first place, even though they did a better job of it in the past. It, it, it's incumbent upon us to make a difference, and this Balenciaga story shows us that we can, and hopefully they will pay them and the photo shoot company for what they just did. I know this, that more and more, there are people who are rising up to use their platforms, who don't want to just stand behind whatever cowardice they're using as an excuse to actually make a difference. I'm seeing more and more of this among Christian leaders, people like Andrew Sedra doing things like this. Pride is the reason for sin, and pride is the root of all sin. Therefore, pride is the heart of evil. The devil became the devil because of pride. The devil is the devil because of pride. So this new gender ideology, sexual perversion, homosexual revolution, this is really massive and this is really big because what's happening is that it's elevating your pride. People like Russell B. Johnson doing things like this. Really damaging narrative that the church has perpetuated over the last decade which it sets up this false divide between the sacred and the secular. Mm. And this idea like politics is too nasty or the work of public policy or the governmental space is too dark mm -hmm. and the church should really adopt the position of non-engagement. And what that has led to is the cultural moment that we find ourselves in today. And well-known pastors like Ed Young doing things like this. Are you believing on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? They're going trans, absolutely amazing. And people think that the woke world is not coming against us. You better wake up and smell the coffee or smell the turkey. Finally, some Christian leaders care about winning because winning matters on crucial issues. 
not winning for winning's sake, but winning for the sake of kids when we're talking about transgenderism, winning for the sake of kids when we're talking about abortion, and winning for the sake of kids who are going to be exploited like this. We must win for their sake. And so the question is not, will we win? Because I think we can. The question is, is will you fight? And I hope you will, because as we saw with Balenciaga, and I hope we'll see in the future, we can truly make a difference. All right, as you do that, I'd love to hear how you're doing it. You can leave that down below in the comments section. You can also like, share, and subscribe, but make sure that you go with God. Thanks for watching.